0: Hello and welcome to episode 207 of Effect Band of Historians
1: I'm Matthew and I'm Dave and as usual today we've got a packed programme for you so um, we've got some lovely new patrons which we will like to do a shout out for at the uh, at the start of the show as we usually do um, the world of gaming, there's quite a lot in the world of gaming today I won't run through it all now but there's Ooh, a, yeah. a corny... Don't run
0: into it all now, because... Just, we're going to we run, run through it all in, in a minute. In the segment yes. called The Game of...
1: The Game of Welding. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what you get for interrupting me halfway through my introduction, Matt. You just... Yeah, carry on. You, carry on with your introduction. You just lay bare your professionalism, or lack thereof. Straight out. And um, Anyway, so um, we do have a cornucopia of things to talk about in the world of gaming, um, which... Uh, as last time, I mean, took us about forty minutes, so we may, we may not be that long, but there's plenty to talk about. But then the main, the main, the main event for the show is my uh, discussion on history in role playing games, or role playing games set in historical settings, and uh, what are some of the pitfalls around doing that. So there's, I've got quite a lot to say about that. So um, we've got we've got a bit of a, a good discussion to come later on 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 exactly that. And that's going to be the show. So, let's um, let's move straight on to our lovely new patrons, Matthew.
0: New patrons then, Dave. New patrons. We've got three. Count them.
1: Ooh. Three
0: new patrons again in this episode. Excellent. Well, I say we've got... We've had three new patrons. Okay. Um, How long did but they last? One of them was only around for five days. Oh, okay. Um, hmm. So... For those five days and your month's contribution, vermin lord, let me say thank you very much for your somewhat short support.
1: But thank you. Um, yes, any support is welcome and is is greatly. Appreciated. Any support is welcome. But yeah. sad, but sad that you left so soon. So um, come back, please.
0: Well, or I mean, you know, some people might well not feel that they need, you know, they can afford like a monthly commitment. No, that's true. Understand that's that. entirely true. Um, and and. I, you know, there are those sort of crowdfunding sites like Kofi, which is meant to be kind of buy me a coffee sort of thing. So perhaps that's what Vermin Lord was uh, doing. So thank maybe. you very much for that yes. coffee. Yeah. Although, as we say, actually on our Patreon, we will not spend it on coffee. You definitely won't spend it on coffee, Dave, since you've given up coffee. I so don't
1: drink coffee anymore. No, exactly. I might, I could, I could, um, I could have spent it on tea, but we're not going to spend it on anything frivolous like that. It gets spent on running the show and helping us with the expenses. So it's uh, uh you yeah, know and allowing us to buy some swag once in a while. So it's um it's it's supremely appreciated. Thank you.
0: Yeah, buy, buying swag for our top level patrons, I yeah. should say, not not for us. No. <laughs> um now and the second patron that we've got, and this was this was a bit of a mystery because this patron appeared on the Discord um but didn't appear on Patreon in terms of patron, they send me a little message saying, you've got a new patron. That didn't happen. And then even now, when I look up on new patrons, there's no message, no, no mention of him, but uh, Sebastian Schmidt, thank you very much for joining. You are on the patron. If I look you up on how, you know, members, there you are. But, uh, but, but no, it didn't, it it didn't alert me to your novelty. So uh, I think I've already apologized to Sebastian. I've sent him a message saying, Oh, Sorry didn't quite notice you were there but uh but he's there and um i think, uh, I think thank you said, very much i think sebastian. he's on the
1: discord if i if i remember right he here. is on the discord that's I, where
0: it's the only I thing think, that alerts me I to think the fact appeared, that he have got a new patron
1: but he appeared on the discord twice as a sebastian has arrived and then literally an hour later it was sebastian has arrived
0: because I, mm. I remember
1: going on it and going hello as you do because we're the nicest place on the internet. I, and then when I saw another one yeah. that come up, I went, hello again. And then I thought, hang on, that sounds familiar. And I checked it and it was the same. So I don't know, there's some technical yeah. gremlin gremlinification going on with uh, with Sebastian. Yeah, but and, and given it's pa-
0: the Patreon bot that puts our members on our Discord without us having to do anything, I think Patreon itself was throwing a little bit of a fit there. Yeah. So anyway, welcome, Sebastian. Yes, um, very much. And I'm not sure where you're from. You may be from Germany, given given your name. In which case, um, say hello to fellow new patron and fellow new um, patron. <laughs> you
1: just said that a- twice.
0: And, and I believe German. And and that is and this is this is a name that I'm going to muck up. This is Christoph Kleschka, uh, Kleschke? Anyway, Christoph.
1: We would have to be corrected. Uh, also known in as
0: Leo Leoin. So welcome, Leowin, and we've also seen you on the Discord. We have. So yes. uh, welcome to the nicest place on the internet, Indeed. and thank you thank both you very much, very much, yes, for your uh, support.
1: Lovely, and as as always, thanks to every single person who's who supports us or has supported us or may support us in the future. It's um, you know, we 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 wouldn't be doing what we're doing without your help. So thank you so much.
0: Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. So if you
1: want us to shut up, you know what to do.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right. Shall we move on? That's enough about our supporters. World of gaming. Shall we move on to the extensive world of gaming? Um, UK Games Expo. Shall we start there?
1: Yep. Three weeks away.
0: Because I'm just remembering that you said that by this episode, you'd remember what stand we were at. Oh, Dave. We are Dave, on, did you not uh, are, do your homework? We
1: are on stand. 1-538. So, fuck you,
0: Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's stand just as one, well that Anders sent us that email recently with the, uh, with the big... Um, pdf that we've got to print out and show to the um well the only reason
1: the the only reason i know is that i've printed off my my exhibit of paperwork and it's on the desk next to me with a stand number on it. so i'm being very efficient every time i get a bit of paperwork i'm printing it off and i'm sticking it on on the side of my desk so i don't forget it but yes right in front of me is our stand number so no i didn't remember but i did my homework (laughs) sufficiently well to prepare Uh. myself for this moment Anyway, Brilliant. That stand five well three done. in hall number one is where we will be on the Free League stand. Hall
0: number one, the first and the greatest of the halls. <laughs> and remember as well, we are on um Free League Avenue or or street or whatever. But um
1: Yeah, you're not gonna miss us. We we will So have, you're not gonna miss us. We will have a fabulous ceiling mounted banner this year um yes I, I haven't looked at it yet because if i if i unpack it i probably no, won't can't get it pack, out until we're to pack it again but yeah no. so all you need to do is look up and look across and you will see where yeah. we are from anywhere in hall one and possibly from I, the entrance entrance to hall two as well because there's a big set of stairs that goes up into hall two so you can't exactly. there's there's no excuse for not coming and saying hello even if you don't buy not anything. Knowing where we you, are but you will i'm sure won't you come and buy something there's no excuse for not finding us and coming and giving us a big hello, so there you go.
0: And it's it's a pity, but I, I this is a great big round sort of hoop in the sky with I imagine three league printed on it somewhere. Um, <laughs> you would otherwise it's not going to be very useful. You would
1: suspect, wouldn't you? The <laughs> yeah, only pictures
0: we have seen say round hoop banner printed on the side. I hope we haven't got that one um <laughs> no, but that's, that's... i i i kind of wish that uh, i don't know it may it may actually be true that they do this that the sort of motor they lifted up on is a rotating motor so it gently sort of rotates for the for the three days that we're there but i don't suppose that's the case i'm sure um, it just hangs there
1: unlikely i think it'll just
0: hang yeah you know. um so anyway, anyway so that that's our stand and there is further uk games expo news um not least of which is that they've already announced the judges award for the UK Games Expo Awards.
1: Yeah, I was quite surprised to see that. Although, in hindsight, I can understand why they've done it. Um,
0: Yeah, well, I actually specifically asked Millie why they've done it, and it's because the retailers demanded it.
1: (laughs) Well, I think a lot of the retailers, or those who've won, want to put a nice big sticker on their products saying... Yeah. winner of the 2023 judges award for whatever <clears throat>
0: and and the issue i remember this when uh we were there first and we were running alien for free league and they won at that time the judges award and i think the I mean, people's choice award that was
1: for, for Forbidden um, lands wasn't
0: it forbidden lands yeah. yeah but by the time we were told that we'd won that we had like two copies left i think we you know even sold the unboxed copy that we had out to show everybody because that was all there was yes um and i think that's what the retailers have said what we'd really like to do is promote the award-winning things before the the last hour and a half of of the (laughs) show so um absolutely so it makes a lot of course the people's award that's voted for that, you know, that obviously has to have people voting for it. So that will still be announced at the show.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, what they could do, I mean, they, they, they could do the awards thing on the Saturday rather than the Sunday. It doesn't have to be the last thing that happens at the show. Um, yeah, and
0: I think they, I can't remember. And you'll find out if you do go to um, uh, Gen Con this year. I think the awards at Gen Con, whatever they're called, I can't remember what they're called, uh they're the M World Awards actually, I think, aren't they? They're announced at Gen Con. Yeah, the Ennies, yeah. Um Uh they are on maybe even the Friday, mm. I think. Although maybe the Diana Jones Award is on the Friday and the Ennies are on the side. anyway, they're earlier in Gen Con. That's what I'm trying to say.
1: Our friend Doug would know, obviously, so we can yeah. ask him on uh, on the on the Discord. But um Yeah, but so I see I see why they're doing it, and that's fine. I think that's cool. Um. Yeah, good stuff, and well done to um to Free League for winning the is it best adventure for Blade Runner?
0: Yes. So the Blade Runner starter set got the best uh RPG adventure. Nice. So mm. and it's a good adventure. You've not actually played it, have you? No, I haven't. Not yet. No, I haven't. I haven't got. Uh, Blade so I Runner played it through with um. Oh God, who was running it? Bruce was running it for us. I think. Oh yeah. Nice. I think it was Bruce. Mm. Cool, dear. No, I remember Mohammed and uh, Frank were the other two uh, um, players in the game. I think Bruce did run it. it. Bruce or Thomas? Yeah, I think it was Bruce running it. But it was great. Um, Absolutely a lovely, very, very Blade Runner esque adventure. Yeah, cool. And it comes with lovely props and stuff. So that's, I think, think one of the reasons why. why one is it's a box set that comes with not just a stripped down version of the rules but all sorts of lovely handouts. We played it online but it yeah. would be a lovely thing to play around the table.
1: Yeah. No nice score. Congratulations to to Free League and all the people who were working on on Blade Runner starter set. That's uh, it's a great start. So um yeah good. Nicely done.
0: Um right and one of the things that uh, is Kind of connected with UK Games Expo is people are receiving their copies of Lord of the Rings role-playing, 5E, which is the yep. DD fifth edition version of The One Ring. Um, so there's excitement about that. And I think it is beholden on us, Dave, to run the 5th edition version <laughs> of the One Ring at our demo table that we're going to be having in our enormous stand. I, lo- I love the way you say,
1: you know, it's beholden upon us. Not like Free League said, run run, Lord of the Rings 5e as there, a demo, will you guys? <laughs> <So>.
0: <laughs> well, they haven't so, actually, I don't think they've said that. Last year, they did say to you, um, run Simba Room. And yeah. so, you, <clears throat> poor fellow, you running Simba Room. I think we'll try and run a, a wider variety of Free League games uh, yes. this year to, yeah. to keep it fresh. Uh, but one of those games will definitely be um, Lord of the Rings role 5E. playing so in Fifth wanna... Edition rules. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So it's interesting. So I've received my copy of that, and having a little, just having a little look through some of the rules, I haven't had a good look yet. Um, but, but actually, it's, it's a really nice book. Again, um, I know it's IV, oh, okay. but it's a really nicely put together book, and I think there are they are bringing some of the the One Ring elements into. The 5e version. So it's quite interesting. I haven't looked at any great detail, so I won't say too much because I'll probably get it wrong. But it does feel that they're bringing some of the mechanical ideas from the one ring and incorporating them in the 5e setting. So actually, that's a nice idea. I quite like... Uh, It'll be interesting to read more through it and see exactly what that means. But um, as a principle, I think it's a good one.
0: I think there's... So there are, for example, some optional rules around using the one ring dice instead of a D20, which I think is interesting. Yeah. Um, but what I really love about it is the aesthetic. Once you get past the covers, the covers are very different. They're very D&D feeling and you've got scenes that you'll recognise from the books, beautifully painted by um, an Italian artist whose name I can't remember, but I can briefly look up if you just give me a moment because it's right here beside me uh, and the cover art is by Antonio De Luca, and is very in keeping with the sort of pictures you see on the front cover of D&D book. Yeah. But inside, it's the one ring. The graphic design, the illustrations are the one ring. Yeah. Pretty much all the way through. And yeah,
1: it's very nicely that
0: done. that is a good thing. Um, so uh, I love that. The covers are lovely. You know, um, not, it's a, it's not a good, particularly my style. It's a good but, feeling, um,
1: but there's a, it's a book that feels good in your hands. It's chunky. There's lots yeah. to it. Obviously, you do need... D and D Five E Players Guide and and that to, to run it because that's the that's the way the license works, but there's a lot of stuff in it. It's 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 a it, yeah it's a it's a meaty tome to get your hands on. So it's uh yeah it's it's nice. Yeah, so
0: it's, I mean, there's a lot of us a lot for us to read before we actually have to start running it in. Um, yeah, three weeks in a couple of weeks' time. <laughs> Thanks for reminding me about that. <laughs> Well
1: you have volunteered um, to, to run some of it which is great.
0: Yeah, so, I'm not well, sure how many of our volunteers I can persuade to get into the D&D 5th edition know.
1: mode. I think it might just so be Maybe you, you and me. Might it just it. be you and me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or let's just say uh, let's face facts, Purse, It's you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe since <laughs> since you did out. it last year. We'll see. We'll right, let's see. Um, let's
1: see what the, sh- the schedule looks like because actually once you start putting games in um, even only 90 minutes, with a little break between them, you can't fit that many in, actually, in a day. So no, no, we might not no. be able to run it that many times if we're going to mix up the um, the variety yeah, of games I, I want to play. Should. Which, and I've which started I think looking at the schedule
0: already. Um, so uh, I will share that with you briefly, um, or in a short while. Uh, I wanted to talk, though, about another Blast from the Past, as well as D&D. Can you remember, Dave, the second oldest role-playing game brought out pretty much in response to D&D?
1: Well, I I can, but I never played it. So Tunnels and Trolls, um, I never even looked at it. So I don't even... I'm
0: intrigued by this because I remember, uh, actually before your time, because you joined our little club by the time we'd moved to my house. But when we were playing at Richard Hale at this is our old secondary school in the in what was known then as the new new building uh, the new, sort of the first, new, the first new dining hall yeah the dining hall yeah well um, I used,
1: I used to be in that group
0: so, were you yeah yeah I just ignored you little week. uh but in there uh somebody had tunnels and trolls and played it quite regularly Andy Brick, our friend and patron, says that he had Dungeons and Trolls. I don't remember him running it at all, but I do remember somebody running tunnels and Trolls quite frequently. Yeah. Um, and I never actually played it. But essentially, um, it it was famous at the time for kind of slightly before Choose Your Own Adventure books for having solo scenarios. And importantly, for those people that didn't want to buy fancy dice, it all worked on D6s. Um and lots of people found it great fun. And mm. it's coming back. It's already been back. I remember a few years ago, there was a Kickstarter from Flying Buffalo, who are the original publishers. But um, the founder of Flying Buffalo died a couple of years ago. And, um, and I guess everybody sort of assumed that was the end of Flying Buffalo itself. But all its IP has been bought by Jason Kingsley. Now, do you know who Jason Kingsley is?
1: Oh, uh, I've heard the name, um, you know, you know, Jason
0: me. Kingsley is a man who got lots of money through making computer games and spent that money on the things that he loves. So he's a bit of a LARPA stroke historical reenactor. So he actually has the whole suit of armour and horses and stuff like that. And if you see any of the films he's made but on YouTube about being a medieval knight, He's great, you know, invests a lot of money in that. That's one of the okay, things he loves. Cool. That sounds fun. He also um, loved uh, 2000 AD, the comic that we grew up with. I don't know mm-hmm. about you, but I grew up with it. And uh, so when that was in Financial Difficulty, he picked that up and uh, bought that. So he publishes 2000 AD now. Mm-hmm. And the other thing he loved, when he wasn't um, pretending to be a knight in the shining armour, was sitting at a table pretending to be a knight in shining armour, playing <laughs> Tunnels and Trolls. Yeah. So uh, he's just bought Tunnels and Trolls to revive that. Nice, um, nice. so that that's that's great. I think. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's good for him.
1: It, it was, you know, back in the day. I think you know I kind of always I never played Tunnels and Trolls. I never, like I said, I never even got a copy of it in my hands to even read. And I, and I think there was definitely a bit of D and D snobbery going on, and you know, definitely w- wafting my nose in the air at Tunnels and Trolls. It's just D and D ripoff. Um, so I never even looked at it. So I mm. mean, it'll be interesting, well. interesting to see, uh, you know, you know, to see what it looks like forty years on, I guess.
0: Yeah, um, I do remember uh, when the last Kickstarter was on another podcast. I listened to Happy Jacks had a, an occasional presenter called Tim on it, who was really excited about it. Really excited. He said, "This is this is going to be great." Then he got the Kickstarter and he said, "Right, I'm gonna I'm gonna be running tunnels and tunnels and trolls," and and then he left the podcast pretty much as far well as I can work out. And I do just wonder whether it's because Tunnels and Trolls wasn't as good as he remembered. Oh, okay, uh, maybe. we um, never we never got to hear any more about Tunnels and Trolls on that particular podcast. But
1: um, it, it's it's funny talking about things that aren't as good as you remembered. I um, I watched the um the the Carl Urban Dread movie. Not so long ago, I think I might have mentioned it on the last podcast, and that's a great film. No, and you it, didn't, but yes, and it got me really interested and you know, excited about Judge Dread again. And I remember mm. all the campaigns that we ran back in the day, which were great fun, really good. And I thought, oh wow, maybe I feel like running a, a, a Judge Dread campaign. You know, dust off the old Games Workshop rules, the and, old and Games video. Workshop version of the rules. Um, yeah. So I, I, I went back to it, and all full of this nostalgic energy and, and excitement. And I started looking through the rules and thought, oh, well, they're, they're a bit crunchy. oh, They're a bit crap, aren't they, the rules? And then I put it away and put it back on the shelf and thought, nah, I won't bother. Because <laughs> <laughs> again, I think it would be great if I bothered, but um, it, it just it feels like a bother to try and get back into some of those older, crunchier systems. Um, well, and I've got to say maybe I'm that just I was never... Sh- as I, get older.
0: I, I was a huge fan of the setting, and we had some great judges i seem to remember but the system that d100 broadly speaking warhammer fantasy role play type very similar yeah percentile dice was very very whiffy i seem to remember (laughs) i remember at one point we were trying to disarm some nuclear bomb that was about to go off and we failed and failed and failed and failed failed. yeah i I gave
1: you so many chances to 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 succeed yeah it just so, got to the point it, it, where the bomb had to go off and that was the end of the campaign. Yeah.
0: <laughs> there will be a new one out. So um, Rebellion, which is the company that Jason Kingsley owns, has taken back the licensing rights from um, N Publishing, who published the most recent Judge Dread game. And I think they're planning on um, doing it. Maybe they're going to use Towns and Trolls. <laughs> who, who can say? Yeah. Um yeah, it was interesting because yeah. yeah,
1: because when the new judge Dread came came out which wasn't that long ago was it um i i was tempted to get it but then i then i didn't so maybe maybe i should reconsider that decision and and, and have a look at the uh, the new judge Dread system and see if that's something that would work more effectively um to, to, so know, to our feed, patrons to, feed who know my, this a bit my better. dread nostalgia
0: I think of the of the two systems that world publishes, they've got um, what's old is new, which oh, is yeah, more D and D based, and that's what the Judge Dredd system's on. And they've also got something called Ace, I think, which is um uh, amazing, amazing fun engine. No, that would be Afe. So um, <laughs> and you know, the, 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 anyway, they've got that engine, and I think among our patrons who know these systems better than you and I. They prefer the Ace system to the uh, to the, the what's all the, the wine system. So I'm not yeah. sure, that, um, and you know, one of our patrons, uh, um, um, whose real name I can't remember, actually, <sighs> uh, has has written a lot of the supplements for the Judge Dread and Worlds of 2000 AD version. Are you I don't about think ben? he. Is... Yes, ben. Yeah, ben. Ben, thank you. Of course, uh, Ben. How
1: can you not remember Ben? Bloody hell. <laughs> Sorry, I can ben. remember Ben well <laughs> enough. I just can't
0: remember his name, that's
1: all. Well, which is Ben?
0: No, I can't remember your name, Dave, <laughs> half the time.
1: It's your own name you have trouble with.
0: <laughs> no, I'd anyway. always remember my name. Anyway, I think even he um, has his issues with the um, with the system. So right, right, I'm not yeah. sure that that version, even if you can still get it, because now they've lost license, maybe oh, they maybe. have had to sell everything yeah, off. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah. Talking of lost licenses... I did notice the other day on online um, Modiphius doing a big sale on Conan basically yeah. shifting yeah. all their Conan stuff whilst they uh, whilst they can so if you're if you're interested in 2d20 Conan and then stuff you haven't got <clears throat> get to the Modiphius website and see what's left I had a quick look because I was thinking I might just try and get the core book um, but other than other than um, PDF uh, I couldn't I couldn't find it in hard copy anymore couldn't so get I probably, yeah. probably won't bother um, yeah
0: But yeah, cool. Um, Where are we in the actual news that we were going to say? Oh, Critical Role are going to they're they're publicising something that looks very much like Vason, kind of Victorian thing, and obviously they're going to be streaming it because that's what Critical Role do. But they're also through their publishing arm going to be bringing out a new game, um, which I've got to say I. Looked at, and I made some notes on, and I'm just as we're talking, looking for those notes. I can't find them anywhere. Um, it looks more magical. And I think they're I was going, going to be. I was going
1: say, is this, is this the, the the occult sort of supernatural, gothic? Horror yes. Game, right, right, okay. Uh,
0: uh, um, candle illuminating. See, I didn't even write down the name of the bloody thing, which should have been useful here. <laughs> it um, would have been, wouldn't it? Yeah. Anyway, we'll put a link in the show notes. You can read about yeah. it yourself. <laughs> uh so that's one thing we mentioned um yeah doesn't attract me very much um i mean i've never watched any critical role and i'm not likely
1: to start now it's just no. not really the thing i i i ha- either have time to do or want to spend what little spare time i've got doing really it's not it's not my bag it might be if i actually bother to watch one i might really enjoy it but um you know i haven't, I haven't yeah found, uh, haven't so i i mean i that obstacle yet
0: I find it very difficult A to watch APs. I could listen to yeah. them fine yeah. if there's something else I'm doing. And in fact I can't I don't listen to very many unless they really grab me or it's a system I'm interested in learning about. But watching them sat in front of YouTube for hours, yeah no, that's not a thing I can do. No. Um anime anime RPG that I know some of our patrons are interested in is called Break. Um it's appealing to our patrons. It's on the Kickstarter at the moment. Um, Well, we may have, it may have stopped the Kickstarter. Let me try my new, uh, two screen Uh, thing to see whether, see if you can beat
1: beat me, beat me to it on my iPad.
0: A break RPG. There we go. This
1: is, this is, Um, this is podcasting three days
0: to go. So probably a day to go when this, when this episode finally comes out um and yeah uh, lots of our or a good number of our patrons are very interested in it 470 full color pages which strikes me as quite a lot for something like this 470
1: Um, was that wow that is a lot
0: 470 pages yeah um very anime style illustration we're looking at you know stuff here that's kind of howl's moving castle um totoro that sort of stuff um it's not, it's not appealing to me, but it appeals to our patrons. So I feel it should also be something that our listeners should look at.
1: Mm. I mean, I'm not a fan of anime. Um, my sons are, and they spend a lot of time trying to convince me to spend some time watching some anime. And some of it, I think, actually looks quite, quite cool. Um, some of the Avatar stuff, they were telling me about some of the storylines and that and showed me a, uh, like some, some clips. Uh, that's probably going to be well worth time in watching. So I kind of love the style. It looks great. The artwork looks lovely. Um, I, I'm not going to be backing it. It's not, it's not really my wheelhouse, I don't think. Um, but it does look lovely. And if you're into anime and that kind of style, then it, it might be right up your street because it does look great. And they're doing very well. So 400,000 pounds of a 10,000 goal with three days to go at the point of recording. So um, this is Sunday the 14th of May. So if you're interested, go and get in there. I mean, it's funny. I mean, it's obviously gained a lot of support. Now, I I don't really follow, you know, like role playing game, you know, or gaming current affairs in the way that you do.
0: No, you, so, you just go for and act surprised.
1: I do because often I, I find it funny and I am surprised, <laughs> funnily enough. Um, so I just wonder. I mean, where 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 did they where did where did their Customer base come from for this? How well, did they get I think eight thousand? What did what did they do in like marketing terms to get eight thousand backers?
0: I think you've hit upon something in that it's a generational thing. Yeah, it's not, and, and I'm not saying that people of our generation are uniformly not anime fans, and people of our children's generation are uniformly, ah, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah.
0: Uh, but broadly, generalization wise. I think there's a massive market there. We saw that massive market in the Avatar role playing game when that came out. Yeah, no, I, I guess still, my, question, I think...
1: my question is less about the market. Obviously, the market is there, but is how did um, you know Grey Wizard, who's behind this, market this so those 8,141 backers even saw it?
0: Well, I, again, I'm kind I... of
1: thinking ahead to things that we might be doing <laughs> at some point in the not too distant future.
0: Well, yeah. So, in, I, I think we're at a serious disadvantage. I'm sure they're on all the boards and stuff of anime fans, and yeah. there are a lot of communities of anime fans. And um, they've got some lovely illustrations. They put them up there, and it looks like an anime book. It does look and super,
1: actually. The, the, yeah, the artwork yeah. and the design and of it looks really nice.
0: Yeah, you know, it captures it brilliantly.
1: Yeah. I mean, um, but it, I'm, I'm half tempted to have a punt, but I don't have so much money these days, so I might have to resist.
0: <laughs> no, well, I have had a punt on one of the games we're going to be talking about today. Um, so uh, I think that's that's my punt um, mm. for this month. But it looks absolutely though-
1: lovely. So I'm, I'm just looking on the Kickstarter. There's a page where they're showing the setting, which is a, a double page spread of like a map of the world. It just looks. Mm-hmm. It's just beautifully done.
0: It's really... <laughs>
1: It's really nicely presented. I I like well, it very I think, much.
0: You know, that's one of the things we need to, we do need to get a good stock of illustrations up and running before we start the campaign yeah, even if definitely. the campaign pays for more illustrations. Yeah, but you'll uh, because have to be, but yeah. Um, uh, yeah. we need to uh, we need to capture that um hmm. yeah i'm not sure there's much more w- we can learn but maybe we ought to invite somebody from there to talk about how they marketed the campaign later that's, on see no a- double purpose um content for the podcast and also we learn some stuff from them
1: yeah that might be a really good idea yeah,
0: that might be a thing cool um talking of japan and another uh, japanese style I want to point out Ronin, which has again got three days to go. So, again, when you're listening to this, probably only a day. Um, Ronin is Morkborg, but in Fantasy Japan.
1: Fantasy Japan? Yeah. Not his well, I assume, Japan.
0: Well, Morkborg It's um, pretty
1: fantasy. Yeah, it's not good. At, it's, good it's, pretty, be, yeah, it's good. Yeah. It's good fantasy, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, <laughs>
0: uh and also i'd you know i do worry about and just flicking down to the team now that you've said that i always worry a little bit about um fantasy japan or historical japan when it's written by westerners and this is made in liverpool so um right i uh, i do worry a bit about that um but uh I'm just slightly reckless games. I just don't see if we've got any team members there. Um but we haven't but it's under the the open walkball walk license that yeah. um yeah. the guys at Stockholm Cartel did. It's doing quite well. It's funded, it it's got fifty thousand pounds from a four thousand pound goal, one thousand one hundred and thirty five backers. Um lovely art again of an entirely different style, across between um japanese uh what you call print style um it's got a fancy japanese name but i can't remember and and mortborg punk um as usual um a bit more red in this than in most mortborg books it is i guess very that's Mork-Borg, for the blood but it is but very mortborg style and yeah good feel, yeah
1: but yeah so if if you're into that kind of thing then go and uh go and check out ronin i would recommend
0: mm. But it's not the one that I'm backing. Having said that, I'm backing one. What I'm backing is Outgunned.
1: Ah, okay. Is that on Kickstarter at the moment?
0: That's also on Kickstarter.
1: Let me look fire up your up.
0: search engine, Dave.
1: <laughs> yeah, you want to keep talking while
0: I'm. Uh, right. Okay. So I'm just waiting for you to fire up. Yeah. So Outgunned is. Well, I think it might be a. Something a bit like Feng Shui, but not quite as based in Hong Kong action movies, uh, as as based in all Feng Shui. Feng Shui. Uh, shui, uh...
1: (laughs) I've got I've got a nervous tick now. Every time you say Feng Shui, I'm going to say Feng Shui. It's just going to happen. Yes. Anyway, this
0: this this is less Hong Kong action cinema and more. All the action cinema and TV from the 80s, ah, okay. um, uh, which is one of the things that slightly worries me in that I'm not entirely sure that a broad generation of backers um, will will get really into the 80s specific action movie stuff. I mean, there have been some great things. They talk about John Wick and John Wick isn't 80s. Um, and they say things like, "Yes, you can have mobile phones, but you can't have smartphones." But John Wick has smartphones, and you know, you'd almost say that John Wick is is based very much around people's on their mobile phones. So, um, yeah, but it looks great. Um, I guess this, is, is this looks fun. Is this
1: the game that you would you would get if you wanted to play something like the A Team? Or
0: uh, oh, absolutely, you can play the A Team with this. I'm yeah. sure. Um, yeah, and you know, you've got. Uh, you know, a lot of um, 80s action normally involves a single hero. So the A team is a good example of how you might get a bunch of people around the a team. table playing together. Yeah. Uh, but more recently, there was a great thing uh, called something like Six Underground, um, which was um, had a uh, blokey boy from Deadpool in it, Ryan Reynolds. Oh, yeah. As a rich bloke who got a team together to bring justice to the world. And they all, you know, had great adventures. Um, It was really good fun. I I really enjoyed that. 600 grand, recommend it to anybody. Almost like an auteur piece of, um, of high octane action um, on Netflix. I recommend that. And that, so that's, that's kind of the, the game that I'm thinking of playing with this. Um, It looks, and it's a lot, it takes a lot from feng shui. So you don't, roll your character you choose an archetype and you choose uh something else to make it yours and that's it and that, that's as much character generation as you need to do uh, a, a, a kind of an archetype and a shtick or something yeah. i can't remember what they call it um and then you roll dice the dice system is interesting i think it may have appeared before in broken compass where you roll a pool of d6s and you're looking for pairs, three of a kind, that sort of stuff. Um, oh, right. And that's yeah, yeah. What okay. you your successes. In fact, uh, a, a set of d6s come with it that they don't have numbers on at all. They're just they different, have different
1: icons on them, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, um, I quite
1: like I've, I've never played, I don't think I've ever played a system that, that uses that base mechanic, but I'd, I'd like to. I'd like to try it and see how it plays because it's quite a simple idea, it's a good idea.
0: Um, yeah, well, there's one that I'd like to get us playing at some point, uh, which is a very old system, and that's, um, well, the system is called the One Roll Engine. It's used in a number of games, but it first appeared in Godlike. And right, Godlike yeah. is superheroes in the Second World War. Yeah. Um, not particularly super superheroes. So you're superheroes in the superhero infantry in the Second World War. Yeah. Um, and I'd like to run a game with that. But that uses normal dice, and there's things about... Uh, the one-roll engine is it's not just not just about pairs and stuff like that, but also about the value that you get there. Right. So it's both wide, and they talk about it in three dimensions, so you get a wide roll if you've got lots of matching things, and, and, and a tall roll if, if they're high. Um, okay. I'd like to give that a go. But uh, this is simpler than that. Looks very uh, quick to get the hang of and to play. So, um, yeah, I went in on it um, thinking, oh, this looks like... Now, I was a bit disappointed by Feng Shui 2.
1: Okay, why?
0: Waiting for you to say Feng Shui.
1: <laughs> but you oh, didn't. Oh, fuck, I missed. So damn, damn. Feng Shui, Feng Shui.
0: No, no, it's too late now.
1: <laughs> damn, damn it. I'm
0: I know it's now. not a tick, but an affectation now. Uh, so in... <laughs>
1: Damn.
0: We, we we as you will know, and so will our listeners, because if they've listened to us before, they we we very much enjoyed the Feng Shui campaign that I ran.
1: Did way much.
0: back in the nineties. It,
1: um, it did take me a little while to get the get in the swing of it. I have to say, when I first played it, I wasn't a huge fan in, in, initially. But I think once I understood, you know, kind of got it, 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 was, it was great. Mm. Yeah, it was really good, and I had a couple of fabulous characters that I really enjoyed playing. That were just weird as hell and just a bit out there um yeah it was really good
0: yeah so um we'll see how this goes anyway i've i've got some money the there is a pay what you want um a uh, quick start version on drive through if anybody's interested in checking it out ah, um cool. they suggest a pound um and i spent a pound on it <laughs> but um you can you can download it for free if you want Hmm. well this is just a dollar so i spent what 53p or 80p or whatever
1: on it 53p you you're not keeping up with exchange rates are you at the moment (laughs) Uh,
0: yeah (laughs) whatever (laughs) whatever
1: blimey yeah the pound hasn't been that strong since like 1875 or something
0: (laughs) um yeah so there's that anyway that's that's what i'm saying there will be links to all these games in the show notes um This one has slightly longer to run. Let me remind myself how long we've got. 11 days. Another, so yeah. you'll definitely still have an opportunity to check it out when you listen to this.
1: Cool. Yeah, interesting. Nice. Well, I think that's it for World of Gaming today, isn't it? Because we've... Another yeah, bumper. Yeah, bump most across. of an hour. Yeah. Well, we did have that first um, 15 minutes of mucking about when... Which, yeah, you know, which yeah we when everything was going out. wrong.
0: <laughs> we'll, we'll edit a chunk of that out. Um, so let's hear your essay.
1: Yeah, so history. History and role-playing. Let's, uh, yeah. let's do that. The history of role-playing games is one that, rather surprisingly, doesn't really go big on actual history. You might get a game with a historical setting, but more often than not, it seems the writers and designers don't have the confidence in the drama of the history itself and feel the need to add vampires, werewolves, and Cthuloid monsters to... what? Make the setting interesting? To bring a unique selling point? Or what they think is a unique selling point? To a tired and well-worn setting? Now, anyone who has the slightest interest in any era of history could tell us that the story of the human race is simply packed full of fabulous characters, heroes and villains, and all those in between is round with events of every type and persuasion that deliver tense, thrilling, and exciting stories. And it's overflowing with challenge, trouble, and conflict. But looking across my gaming shelves, I see swords and sorcery fantasy in many guises. I see science fiction and mythical or supernatural horror. I see alternate futures and strange new worlds. Some very lightly touch on historical or quasi-historical settings. Legend of the Five Rings, for example but with a fantasy or a supernatural twist. There are, obviously, games set in history, but they seem to be few and far between. In looking at my RPG shelves, there is only one game there that is rooted in a historical setting, and that's my game, War Stories, from Firelock. I'm not, however, going to get upon my soapbox about why this might be. Perhaps it's simply a sign of the general level of interest in history amongst a population. Perhaps it does come from the fact that game designers don't see the drama that fills every page of a history book. Perhaps we have trouble in placing ourselves, and our characters, in those times and places, and thus don't see the possibilities. As I said, I'm not going to get into the whys and wherefores of this particular issue today, but suffice to say that War Stories seems to be finding its place in the RPG world, and Matt and I are both convinced there's enough drama in the Wild West That a game set there won't need the device of supernatural creatures, aliens, or any other hook to get players to the table. All the evidence so far, from many playtests and the reception of our Tales of the Old West actual plays, seems to suggest we may be onto something. Now, what I want to talk about is how we can and should use history in role-playing games, and some of the issues and the pitfalls I've come across in working on both Tales of the Old West, and war stories. The first thing I'll say, is I think there are two predominant ways we might make use of history. One is in creating a world, a broad and authentic setting for our players, where they explore a time and a place as if they were living there, and the history happens around them. And two, in creating a space within that world, where your players get to play through specific historical events themselves. So, creating an authentic setting. I say authentic deliberately, as opposed to realistic. I know I've said this before, but it bears repeating. Unless you're a professor of history with your PhD and years of study, you're not going to get everything right. So claiming to go for realism is probably a bit of a stretch too far. But getting an authentic look and feel is going to be easier, although for any historical game to be worth its salt Research into the relevant period is essential, and for me, lots of fun. So get reading, get talking to experts, get looking into any valid sources that have credible information, and then don't sweat it. For me, for war stories, I read a lot of books, accessed records of the time as far as I could, and historical maps. Aerial photography from the early 1940s was especially helpful and got a tonne of useful information from places like the Bovingdon Tank Museum and the Utah Beach Landing Museum. For many players, they won't know enough, or care enough, to notice and worry about small, and nearly always irrelevant in gaming terms, historical details, and feeling immersed in an authentic recreation of the time will be what they're after. But some players will, and some historical settings will be more likely to attract those kind of super-informed players than others. That's okay. Do your best in creating the world. Make corrections as you go when you find points of detail that are sufficiently wrong to be worth changing. But always remember you're making or playing a game, and it's supposed to be fun. Another point that is really important. Don't rewrite the history to suit your own sensibilities. If you want to create or play a historical game because of its historicity, don't go changing that history, which is the reason you're playing the game in the first place. Instead, be respectful of that history, for that history is a record of what actually transpired and what life was like back in the day. Challenge it, of course, warts and all, but don't whitewash it. Use it as an opportunity to learn. And to give others an insight into some of that dark history so they might learn too. I don't want to come over all evangelical here, but I strongly believe that we must face the horrors of our species history if we're to have any hope of growing and leaving those horrors truly in the history books. A couple more specific thoughts. Work out what it is about the history you're looking at that really grabs you as exciting and playworthy and make sure you use the game to bring out those elements to help immerse the players. For example, I'm still very keen to produce a Roman historical RPG that will draw out the things I love about the period. Political intrigue, fighting your enemies with words in the Senate, battling them with your sword in the field, the everyday influence of the gods and building the standing of your family, and at the same time, Rome itself. Find yourself a good book about everyday life in the time and place you're interested in. On my shelf, and within reach of where I'm sitting, I have Daily Life in Ancient Rome, Life in a Medieval Castle, and The Writer's Guide to Everyday Life in the Wild West. These reference books are just packed full of invaluable material to make your games really feel authentic. From religious practices to the price of simple items and aspects of the law, medicine and the role of different people in society. You'll find these eras in history may be very different from the prevailing image presented by Hollywood. And also, timelines are useful, but don't worry too much about them. If it makes sense in your game for dynamite to be invented a few years ahead of the history, then go for it. If my experience in playtesting Tales of the Old West is anything to go by, your players will be using Uncle Google anyway to see what was available and when whenever they come up with a whizzy idea.
0: Dave, 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 before we go any further, I have to argue with you about the word authentic. Do um, you yeah. yeah. You keep using that word, and I don't think it means what you think it means.
1: Well, I mean, language is fluid, so it can mean whatever I want it to mean, really. My interpretation of the word, yeah. but go on what are you what are you well your, yeah but when your you're trying points, to get
0: across sorry. an idea so um authentic uh, if we let's, let's go to the dictionary definition here Let's um go to cambridge university i'm looking at it on the website um now so actually before we do that let me just explain where i'm coming from because i used to work in heritage reenactment historical reenactment and authentic was a word that had much debate there particularly because of course people would dress up in quote authentic uniforms or Tudor clothes or whatever and uh, the argument was well these aren't authentic and if they were authentic you wouldn't be wearing them because they should be in a museum as um,
1: oh I see you mean, dr. Okay. Jones yeah, yeah. once
0: said uh, so then there's a question about you know, so you're using authentic and realistic and and uh, I think, I think in the world of heritage, uh, those two words almost entirely transposed in their in their meanings. So authentic is this is the actual uniform from the nineteen forties, and therefore should be in a museum, and you shouldn't be wearing it. Actually, in in uh, there was a time when I was doing a lot of this where there were people wearing nineteen forties uniforms in their um. You know, Second World War reproductions and saying this is authentic. Of course, most uh, Tudor reenactors, there's very little fabric left from Tudor times because wool rots over 500 years, 400 years, whatever. Um, and so when they used the word authentic, they were saying, I've hand sewn this, I've used um cloth that's properly woven in, a, in the way they did it back then, I've used they sort of I haven't used any modern dyes but that's still not authentic that is if you like realistic <laughs> um so i that's that that's the first thing on am on listening to you there i'm thinking mm, oh mrs jibing would be the wrong way but then <laughs> i thought there's other stuff about it. so so basically in the company that i used to work for because um, I was not just an amateur reenactor, but we were professional reenactors and therefore uh, uh, considered ourselves a cut above the amateurs. And so we <laughs> used the word um, uh, very simi. Oh, I always struggle over this one. It's a catchy uh, one, obviously. Very similitude. So, very similitude is the appearance of being true or real you know acknowledging that we're making this in the 20th century or oh, 21st well 20th century back then actually when we were doing that um so that's what we used to strive for rather than authenticity because you couldn't be authentic because being authentic it actually has to come from uh the period or whatever and so for example if something is authentic says cambridge the dictionary it is real true or what people say it is it's is an authentic 1920s dress it's authentic italian food he was there and saw what happened so his is the only authentic account there are some of the examples there so i'm, I'm gonna question your word of authenticity before we move on here um and suggest that maybe another word and actually maybe realistic is a better word to use than authentic in the context in which you're using it. But, but, there's also um, uh, the idea that when Starbucks started, are you still there? Or have I bored you to death about the word authentic?
1: <laughs> you have bored me to death about the word authentic. Um, but yeah, carry on. I was, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just thinking that, you know, you spent five minutes um, not talking about the gaming content of what I've discussed at all, and just yeah. picking at, picking at my use of the word authentic.
0: Well, I just, so, I, 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 think, I think, actually, it's a very important distinction to make. I, I, I so, just, so, I think, um, I, I think, trying... I
1: mean, I mean, looking it up, authentic. You're, 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 you are, you are technically right in that you know, it, it you know, it, 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 it's actual, specific meaning is around undisputed origin and it's not a copy. Which I get. So, so in terms of the semantic point you're making, I, I, I. I don't disagree. That's fine. So I think maybe, and I've got maybe. So let me finish. So maybe "authentic" isn't the right word, but "authenticity" is, or the feeling of authenticity, because because that's what I mean when I say authentic in this context. I don't mean it's a direct, it's a, it's an actual item or an actual thing of the time that is we're now using. I mean, it has the feeling of authenticity about it. So, I take your point specifically on the on the specific meaning, semantic meaning of the word. You are correct, but I think yeah, uh, my use of that is more around the feeling of authenticity rather than actually authentic.
0: Which <clears> brings <throat> me to the the second point of the word. So there is um, in. Well, in business, there is a very uh, useful manual for all sorts of um, things like heritage, but also uh, coffee shops and things like that, called a book called The Experience Economy. And it's by Joseph Pine and somebody cold, I think. Um, I mean, let me just let me get it. I don't think it text. matters.
1: Go go make the, make the point. Go on. Go on. Um, This long long semantic discussion might get very boring for other people.
0: But what they talk about in that book is authenticity of experience. And their example, for example, in this is Starbucks, which um, you could argue this is not authentic Italian coffee, even though it's provided there, but rather that they've built an experience that, they use the word in starbucks i think an authentic experience so they're not going to chase you out of starbucks if you decide to sit there in theory they're not i don't know whether this is true but (laughs) you know if you want to use starbucks as your lounge then starbucks will let you just sit there taking ages over a coffee and you know using your computer or whatever um and that that when you're moving into the experience mode so Let's take Starbucks as an example of the progression of uh, the economy. So when you buy coffee, when you buy freeze-dried coffee, obviously it's not really coffee, but it's a commodity. You know, that that's how you do it. When you buy slightly posh coffee, it's from the supermarket. It's still, uh, you know, it's goods. When somebody makes you that coffee, it becomes services. But when Starbucks do that with all the... F- flim around it and the showcase and the fancy syrups and all that sort of stuff then it actually that living the working in starbucks becomes an experience now again i have an issue with their use of the word authenticity here because one of my favorite coffees ever was in an italian railway station where i walked in there into the coffee shop there and it was like walking into the 50s i felt i should have had a little trilby hat and a tight-fitting Italian suit and I stood I went and I ordered a coffee and there was nowhere well there were places to sit but you you kind of most of you because you're in a rest. you're in a railway station you wait for the train to come and this oak panelled bar I stood by the bar they served me the coffee I stood by the bar and drank the coffee left and went to meet my family on the train Um, that is an authentic experience and Starbucks is nowhere near authentic but you hear the word "authentic" used in that context quite a lot when people are building experiences, and so I think. Well,
1: well I think I think the in key that, point at the start of that was you saying that they the the book's talking about the experience of authenticity, or the you know the, yeah the experience of authenticity, and I think authenticity is probably different to authentic.
0: That's my and point. That's, that's, and that's, and that's the, the point different. I'm getting to. I'm glad you've arrived there because I think <laughs> I, that's. I, I, Sorry, yeah, rather than an authentic experience, you're driving for an experience of authenticity. Um, but you might also use uh, the word that I can never pronounce, very similitude, as well. I think is, that might yeah. be, you know, there's enough detail in there to make it feel real, even though it's not. It's a made up experience of today. Okay. Okay, um, that, so, that's so, enough of me thank, prattling thank, on. Shall we go back so, to the last
1: two? So so, so, so to those listeners who've who've stayed with us through that ten minutes of where where Matt could have said it's not authentic, it's an experience of authenticity in like three seconds. Thank you. That it's a demonstration of your tolerance and your your resilience and stamina.
0: I just want to point uh. out that what I'm doing here is quoting my sources, which. Is maybe a thing that you ought to be doing if you're adding historical games.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, that's fine. I, I don't mind that. Uh, <laughs> anyway, it, it's just yeah, okay, fine. That's fine. That's fine. Um, but I Let, think let's listen you're to you're the rest of your. Right. I, I think I think you're right. Maybe my use of the language is slightly loose, and I should have been saying authenticity rather than authentic. And I will I will take that point. On board. Cool. Thank when you Matthew. when you turn
0: this into a blog post later on, then just remember that.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to use the word verisimilitude. <laughs> no, because, because it's only, really hard to say. Not only is it fucking impossible to say, very few people are going to know what it is, and probably <laughs> even fewer will know how to spell it to try and look it up <laughs> if they wanted to. So, anyway. Uh, yeah. All right. So, sh- can, can I carry on then? By all means. So, we've said a few words about creating an authentic setting. Now... What about playing through real events? This brings me to War Stories and the Rendezvous with Destiny campaign. For those of you who don't know, Rendezvous with Destiny takes the players through the battle for Normandy from the perspective of the 506th Parachute Infantry Regiment of the US 101st Airborne Division, the Band of Brothers story. This is one of the most well-known stories in World War II history, thanks to the Stephen Ambrose book and the Tom Hanks and Steven Spielberg TV series, both wonderful accounts of the experiences of the men who lived through this time. There are a number of issues to consider and take account of when tackling a campaign like this. People will know, or perhaps will think they know, the story very well. Often the real history was a bit different from that shown in the TV series, due to production requirements of making a television programme. Some events are taken out of order. The actions of several people are conflated into one character to help the narrative along. There are often conflicting accounts of some events that may or may not have played out. In creating and running a campaign like Rendezvous with Destiny, there is a big risk that the players end up feeling they're along just for the ride. Everyone knows what happened for real, and the story could easily just run along on rails. So how can we break this? Well, first and foremost, I advise the players and the GM that they should not play Easy Company. Its story is so well known, as is that of the rest of the 2nd Battalion, that is Dog and Fox Companies too, that I've gone as far as to recommend the players shouldn't be members of the 2nd Battalion at all. It's perhaps a small point, but distancing players from the high-profile characters from history helps make room for the players to make their own history without feeling constrained or constricted by what really happened. My second point is enabled by the first, and that's being clear that as soon as the PCs leap from their aircraft, everything is up for grabs. There's no guarantee they will succeed in any mission, and I added some guidance to help the GM manage the impact of that on the wider campaign, in the hope that we'd maintain some unpredictability in the story. I really wanted to make the familiar story of the 506 new, unexpected and unpredictable. To do that, I added a range of missions to bring different player experiences, with some of those missions being ones that the 506 may not have had a big hand in, and Easy Company definitely didn't have a hand in. They are all recreations of real objectives that either the 101st or the 82nd grappled with during the real events of D-Day and beyond. We know that troops from both divisions were scattered all across Normandy, so it's not inconceivable that the PCs would be involved in any of them. One of the most famous and notable actions undertaken by Easy Company on D-Day was the assault on the fixed artillery position at Braycourt Manor, and this is an obvious mission that players might expect to see. However, I didn't want to just replay Braycourt Manor. A little bit of research led me to a similar, but in fact far more interesting and harrowing encounter, which I then used as the basis for the mission in the campaign. It wasn't Easy Company involved this time, but Charlie Company of the 506th, and some stragglers from the 502nd. It will feel familiar to players who want to experience the attack on break or mana, but it adds to that experience while remaining historically accurate, and for me that was a huge win-win. In creating the campaign, I've tried to give the players various routes to the campaign finale, and have amended history a little bit in that finale, to again make the mission less predictable. My historical tweak in this case is something that could easily have happened, so I feel entirely comfortable in making the change to make the gaming experience better. Changing the history for gaming reasons is a really interesting and central point to this whole issue. Now rather than make sweeping changes to the history, I've tried to adjust, adapt, or tweak it to make the experience in Rendezvous with Destiny as exciting and unpredictable as possible. However, I would be content to make greater historical changes if the game really needed it, as often the real history doesn't give you a nice and well-rounded campaign ending to add to a game. No spoilers, but the next instalment of the Rendezvous with Destiny campaign may require a little more counterfactual adjusting to bring a thrilling finale that brings an element of closure to the campaign. The last thing I need to say about historical gaming is this. The most important thing is respect for the content, for the reality that countless men, women and children lived through, or often didn't live through. We are taking terrible events and suffering and turning them into a mechanism for entertainment, We must be mindful of this when we create and play these games, and while we have fun in exploring the epic and heroic stories that we are emulating, we must also learn and understand the period and the lives we are inviting ourselves into. If we do it right, we not only educate ourselves and others about these events and the reality of our history, but we also honour the people who really lived through it.
0: So, sorry, I'm just I'm just collecting my thoughts here. and They're not really thoughts about anything you've said. I, I agree with everything you've said here. But I just wonder, have you seen already in the first bit that's been published, have you seen stuff in the forums and the discords and the Facebook pages where people go, oh, well, no, that's not what happened um, already uh-huh. in what you've written so far?
1: Um, no, I haven't seen anything yet, but I, I suspect that will come. I mean it's you know there are you know as I say I mean, particularly trying to bring a bit of you know unpredictability to the story to a story that is so well known and 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 like you say there are there are people particularly on the military side actually who will know in in intimate detail um, the histories of easy company and dog company and, and the others sort of read all the books and all the all the material that there is about them. Um, it's inevitable. There's going to be, you know, there's going to be comp- complaints, that's the wrong word. It's inevitable that people are going to pick up on some of the things that you've had to change to make that story into a game that doesn't just feel like you get onto a roller coaster and you just ride the ride the story and you get off at the other end. And, and that yeah. was my big that was my big concern with doing something like this is that it could easily feel like. Okay, well I've done I've done the jump now. So the the first mission is um Saint-Marie-de-Mont and then the second mission mm-hmm. is oh yeah, Brecourt Manor and then the third mission is um wherever it might be. And oh, then it's Carantan. Yeah, okay. Um and then we go to the to the hills, to the high ground to the east of Carantan. Okay. You know, and it's just boring. Um yeah, and it's poin- yeah, it's pointless. as a game, it's it's a it's pointless. So some of these things have to be in it, like Carantan features, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've done a tiny little bit of counterfactual stuff on that mission to just try and shake it up a little bit. And I mean counterfactual because again, it's it's something that could 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 very easily have happened if one decision by one um, one commander was made differently. So I'm not, but I'm not breaking the history. I'm not making up something completely new at all. But I'm just trying to make it so that a player who does know the history doesn't go into a situation knowing, oh, well, the Germans are there, the Germans are there, and, you know, this is what we do to, to win the fight. Because that's just really boring.
0: Mm, yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting actually, because I'm watching for the first time, inspired by playing in your campaign, not the one good, the one you wrote, not the one you're running. Thomas yeah. is running it. But I, I, I've started watching Band of Brothers for the first time. And well, better late than Very never because
1: it, it is superb.
0: Very much enjoying it. But, you know, I was kind of going, oh, you know, I wonder. Uh, uh, I can't remember quite the question I had, but I had a question about uh, Winters, the character played by Damien Lewis. Can yeah. I just interrupt myself to say, I know he was Babyface, not Damien Winters, but um, Dexter Fletcher, he never gets old. <laughs> no, I know, I know. I couldn't believe. I thought, oh, that looks like a young Dexter Fletcher. But obviously he would be too old to be appearing as a 20 year old squaddy in, in, in this. And then I thought, no, that is Dexter Fletcher. And then I looked up. Yeah, that's Dexter Fletcher. Bloody hell.
1: I mean, one of the things that I love about Band of Brothers, and they did it with Pacific as well, is they, Mm -hmm. they found actors who, well, and actresses, um, for, for the few roles, female roles that appear, um, who resemble the real people so closely in many ways.
0: So this it's is what got me done. Um,
1: it's really well I had,
0: done. I had some story, you know, there's, there's something I wanted to look up about Winter within the story. And I thought, well, obviously there'll be a you know, Band, of Brothers, Band of Brothers fan page. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll type it in there. I had no idea these are real people until actually oh, wow. okay. Winter's, Winter's, you know, personal biography picked up and then the thing that got me yeah. straight away was oh my god he looks exactly like damien lewis yeah yeah um, so didn't, did, didn't the um didn't the little
1: interview vignettes give it away that these oh, are real people
0: well no um, no so the, so again fly no, no, no. but the, 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 these are some veterans talking about their experiences and now here's a story about some of those experiences oh, okay. i didn't, so you didn't you know you know this, this they like, the same
1: people ah okay
0: didn't actually say oh these are the people that we are portraying in this thing at all no
1: they, they do no. at the end yeah they do at the end
0: yeah um and it's i thought just, you know i thought oh that's a nice, a nice little nod yeah. you know if i'm creating a drama about the second world war it's important maybe to have some authentic voices as well not oh god i Oh, so this is based on a book, and this book is based on these memoirs. And oh, right, this this all actually happened. David yeah. Schwimmer was a git, uh, Um David yeah, Schwimmer's thought, oh, character.
1: I was I was very when I when I first saw Band of Brothers many years ago. I've only ever seen David Schwimmer in in Friends and not really seen much mm-hmm. of that. And I thought David Schwimmer, what, 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 what terrible casting! But he's brilliant. He's absolutely superb as Sobel in that series, mm. um, just demonstrates his you know, his range as an actor. He was really good. Yeah, there's nothing that's bad about it. The other thing, yeah, I thought, I... I, I thought until I saw Damien Lewis in something later, I thought he was American, because of his accent. <laughs> <laughs> it was only later on when I heard him speaking in English accent, I thought, what the bloody hell? He's American, surely. <sighs> so again, the accents and the acting of all the cast is, is just super. Really, really good. Cool.
0: Yeah, David, Damien Lewis is one of my favourite people. Obviously, he did play an American again in... Um, Homeland. Homeland. I don't know if you saw yeah. that. Yeah, um, yeah. And in the, one of my favorite shows of his is a police procedural called Life. I don't know if we've talked about this on the podcast at all, but it's brilliant, where he's a cop who's set up and imprisoned for murdering his entire family. Now he knows he mm. didn't do it. He manages to get out and not only that, but sue the police force for millions of pounds and, um, and his old job back. So you've got this, like, accused mass murderer coming back into the, the police station to be a cop because he wants to track down who, you know... He really
1: who really did it. his family and set him up. OK, cool. Now, it's interesting. You know, you know, one of, one of my favourite books of all time is um, The First Man in Rome by Colleen McCulloch. And it tells a story of Gaius Marius and Lucius Cornelius Sulla uh, at the end of the Republic, Roman Republic. And it's brilliant. It would make a fabulous miniseries... And I'm just mm. really sad that they didn't make it 20 years ago, because Damian Lewis would have been perfect, so A like, young Damien Lewis, absolutely perfect, and Patrick Stewart would have been perfect as a, as a Gaius Marius, and <laughs> Lewis, that would have been just superb. And it's, don't worry,
0: it's... don't worry. These guys have all been um, been acting through the the beginning of AI they will have signed their likenesses away to various TV studios. They can probably, you A know, CGI. once these guys are dead, people will CGI them into some fabulous, really Maybe. very similar um, <laughs> uh,
1: Or the experience of authenticity, you mean? Yes.
0: <laughs> uh, with, with them both in, you know, the, these actors will never die. And, and in fact, they, they won't age. We, We can have them, I'm sure. No, Um, That will happen. But yeah, Life, you must watch Life. It's only two series. It's a very police procedural, old style police procedural. You know, there's a case a month with following through the story. There's a Buddhist, he's become a Buddhist in prison as well. So he drives a Sinorba Bentley he's got going, I am not attached to material things. I am not attached to material (laughs) things. It's hilarious. And then the last line pretty much is, I didn't just learn about Buddhism. Um, but I won't spoil that for you.
1: No. But anyway, coming back to coming back to gaming to answer your question. Yes. So um, no, I haven't had a lot of comments like that yet. Um, we we did get some early on when when Firelock were, were were showcasing some of the artwork. There was quite a lot of nitpicking, nitpicking, or <laughs> pick, picking picking up of errors or uh, supposed errors of. Um, you know, uniform points of detail about uniforms or guns and stuff. Now, actually, the, this this kind of brings me to the other point. Whilst a lot of the people who are picking up on those errors absolutely know what they're talking about and are experts in their field, there's a lot of people who think they're experts, and mm. so you get a you get a lot of opinion and a lot of comment, and not all of it is always accurate. So it's um, you know, you have to you have to be a bit careful because I mean, if you watch Band of Brothers that is a, uh, an edited, truncated, collated recreation of the story. And there's a lot of history behind it, and behind the five o six history itself, because this is obviously just one out of nine companies you're talking about, um, that it's quite different, or is much more involved, or there's a lot more to it. And so in researching Rendezvous with Destiny, you know, I was picking up on all this history which doesn't come out. So if somebody's yeah. watched... If somebody's watched it and then read the book and thinks they're an expert, they're not. They're an expert in the yeah. book and the film, the program, but the program is a adaptation of the actual history for their very Exactly. Own so, races, ev- so
0: every transformation the story goes through, you know, those men, those old men who are actually there, they have the authentic experience when they tell that story. Yes, that's still authentic because they're telling that story. But then, when it gets written down, you know, there's there's semantic editing going on there. Even when they're telling it, there's semantic editing. They probably don't tell you the very worst things that happened. Well, no, but Uh, but also,
1: but also, there's there's a thing that um, Stephen Ambrose mentioned, uh, the writer of Band of Brothers, that there are often mm -hmm. a lot of conflicting recollections of what happened from the men in the company.
0: yeah, so, yeah, which yeah, I think comes know, out is, of a semantic editor. There is, editing, there is so, no one yeah.
1: objective
0: true truth, story no. here.
1: There's, there's objective history, which you can bring as close as possible to what would be the subjective truth. But you could never hand on heart say, subjectively, that is absolutely right. Because hmm. it's based on eyewitness accounts and eyewitness testimony, which is always a bit... Uh, can be questionable.
0: And then, you know, when they, when they take that book, that book can be presented i don't know how the book was done whether it was presented as a historical textbook with sources whether it's presented as a popular history with which it's, a, po- it's a popular history
1: sources. but is, is obviously based on um easy company's records uh, lots and lots of interviews with easy company survivors mm. um easy company were involved in the production of the book there was some there was quite a lot of i remember reading um stephen ambrose said there was when he had the first draft of the book and sent it around the Easy Company uh, contributors, he got a barrage of stuff coming back saying, "That's not right, that's not right, this is wrong." But it was all from different perspectives, and quite a lot of that mm. still contradicted, contradicted itself, even from the men who yeah. were there. Um, yeah, absolutely. So it's so it's very interesting, you know, what you think is this is the this is the definitive history. It 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 might be the closest we can get to it, but it probably isn't a hundred percent right.
0: Which exactly. Is, you know, it is interesting. See my authenticity argument, <laughs> um, but you know, the, so, and then it becomes a drama. And then when it becomes a drama, things will be changed to fit dramatic form. Yeah. Characters may become conflated. All sorts of things may happen. Like in, yeah. um, um, oh God, what's the thing? Chernobyl, where there was, okay. Uh, I haven't
1: seen it all yet. So no spoilers. Cause I will watch it.
0: Well, it. It blows up. Uh, um, well, well I know that a... much, but
1: in terms of characters <laughs> or, or individual stories. So, th- so
0: there's yeah. there's a woman in, there's, there's a main character who's a woman who's actually a conflation of a number of different yeah. people. Um, and so that particular character never existed, but is a useful way of pulling in the stories from a number of different people in, yeah, into yeah. a role that we can identify with. So that sort of stuff happens in drama.
1: There's an interesting thing as well about a point that some people have picked up for Band of Brothers is that you'll see often, particularly if they're like planning an attack or something, they'll take their helmets off. Now, the reality in Normandy is that they would almost never take their helmets off just because the risk was too high of something happening. But obviously filming a programme, you want to see the star's faces and you need to see who is saying what. And having Mm -hmm. a helmet on all the time can get in the way of that. So
0: I'm finding so it still quite difficult, actually, to remember who's who in all of these things. There's, and that, there's a lot of the fact yeah. that they're all in helmets. It makes it a lot harder to recognize And, and
1: identical uniforms. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah. So, you know, unless there's somebody like Dexter Fletcher who looks so much like Dexter Fletcher or Damien Lewis, to be honest, those two, I know. Um, yeah, I guess I've bloke. watched
1: it so many times and I've seen it and I. you know, if I've got half an hour to kill and I've got nothing better to do, I'll often stick it on for a little while and just watch some. Um, Yeah. I'm now now deeply immersed in all of the actors and the characters and everything and I recognise them all straight away, but I have watched it a lot.
0: Yeah. There's a lot of English actors in there, actually, talking about Damien Lewis being American. Loads, yeah. Anyway, anyway, this is perhaps... I recommend people
1: who are interested, go on to YouTube and look up for The Making Of... Band of Brothers because there's loads of stuff in there and there's loads of interviews and all the rest of it. It's really fasc- fascinating. <clears throat> and that's just right. I think we've exhausted this
0: up. topic though. And, can and This also is going to be a long um, episode.
1: Well, don't forget we're taking out 16 minutes of that bullshit at the start. That we- <laughs> yeah, but it's still um,
0: even with that. It's a long episode. Oh yeah,
1: but we're adding. Yeah, yeah. True, true. All right, I'll leave it there.
0: <laughs> are you are you but, yeah. line, are you
1: Are you enjoying war stories as you're playing it
0: uh yes i am enjoying war stories as i'm playing it um
1: that's the key thing I, after all
0: i did mention uh outside the recording that um i wanted to die in the last episode but <laughs> in a good way in, not not in it made me want to die um <laughs> I, I thought Dramatically, I was very lucky to to, to get off um, being only lightly injured, um, and I thought moment, so yeah. far no, none of our none of our maiden party have died yet. And I feel that war stories should be a game where player characters die, and you have to choose a replacement. I don't want my my lovely Dutch American to die because um, the life story inspired me, and I've created a wonderful life story for him. But at mm-hmm. the same point. Some of us have to die.
1: Um, yeah.
0: If I do die, when can I come back as a partisan within the campaign structure?
1: Um, as a, well, I mean it's up to Thomas. If he wants to introduce a resistance character, he can. Yeah. Um, what you didn't tend to get was the five oh six or any any allied troops really um, actively operating with. The resistance because they they found them generally they got in the way. Yeah, uh, there are there, there are there are there are parts in the campaign where you do come across resistance fighters, so you could you could play a resistance fighter, <clears throat> but the, the dynamic with the rest of the team would be would be a bit different. Yeah, I just
0: think it'd be interesting to do for not because oh, obviously the other thing that resistance fighters wouldn't do is move on with the team. No. The next objective <clears throat> they'd only be in there for one objective if they're there at all but I thought it might be fun to break up before going back to somebody else in uniform just to you know to play a resistance character for one thing and then um, as a, and then as go a one to, shot
1: kind of thing yeah
0: yeah anyway anyway uh, War Stories it's great yes buy it Um that's, that's all I needed that's to my hear, motto. <laughs> yeah Cool. We, right. we we have, we have talked on. independently about the D10 uh, damage dice. We are not necessarily a big fan of the number of rolls involved in that. Uh, although but,
1: um, although you see there are other other views being expressed on the Discord as well. So I mean I totally take your yeah. point of view, um, and that it might not be for everybody. Um, and and, and for me it's a really weird thing. Quite dramatic.
0: <clears throat> in in that I yeah I it, it whiffed for. Thomas enrolling my damage and so it's weird, it wasn't oh no, I got shot and I immediately died it was oh I thought I was going to immediately die and I didn't, so I guess that yeah. works both ways um, Well I
1: mean it's, you know that, that that's kind of the, what we're after with it, because that's kind of the fortunes of war that you, know, you yeah. had a lot of bullets coming towards you presumably and you were nicked by one or two of them but they, you know, it's not always easy to hit a running target from 100 metres away um yeah. but if you'd in been unluckier data. if you've been unluckier but it's still not you know I don't know if you've you know ever ever tried it but it's still not that easy um but that role if that role well, had been different have you'd, I you'd, ever you'd, tried you'd, to you'd, hit
0: a running man with a machine gun no i can be <laughs> say yeah
1: no. i'm not um but the point is if that role had turned out differently you would have been dead on the field there and then and that's kind of mm. the fortunes of war element that we wanted to bring in and i guess that some people Obviously it's not for everyone, but it it is for some people and some people have really enjoyed it. And say in the playtest that we did, the guys seem to really like that. You know, you're not automatically dead if you're shot at by a machine gun, but you might be automatically dead if you're shot at by a pistol. And that was the reality, Mm. you know. Death would come out of nowhere often in that kind of situation, and you'd never even know where the bullet was fired from. You'd just be dead. So, you know, it's trying to recreate that, but still in a way that allows the players to have fun and it's not totally fatalistic. But yeah, I mean feedback is great and the fact that um you know the the fact that we're getting this this commentary is a, is a sign that people are interested enough in the game to give it a go and are care enough about it to to want to comment on it which is brilliant.
0: Cool. Right. Right, Shall what are we, we talking about in 2 weeks time? I've yes. got no fucking yes. idea. <laughs> we'll think of something.
1: Yes. Well, on that note, uh, it's goodbye for me.
0: And it's goodbye from him.
1: And may the icons bless your adventures. You have been listening to The Effect podcast, presented by Fiction Suit and the RPG Gods. Music stars on a black sea, used with permission of Free League Publishing.